You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, this is Abraham. And this is Shane. So if you're listening to us, then you're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Your favorite consumable podcast. I think that's what that's what they say, right? I think psychology podcast. <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite so, consumable psychology podcast. There, got it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Perfect. Welcome. <laughs> welcome, listeners. Welcome, everybody. We are discussing something today. Well, let's start with this. What are you doing right now, Shane? So right now, um, I am talking to you, and I'm also chewing gum, kind of. Oh, my gosh. You're amazing. <laughs> what are you doing right now? I am juggling five axes and recording a podcast. That's really impressive. I didn't know you, you could juggle axes anyway. <laughs> well, than five of them. I know, right? <laughs> um, I'm definitely not doing those things. But you are legitimately recording a podcast and chewing some gum, so that's pretty incredible. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I should probably not do that, right? That's probably bad podcast etiquette. Actually, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> Let's put that up. Sorry. Again. Hold Sorry. on. Okay. All right, we got that handled. So Mi- I'm mis- no longer multitasking. Thanks. <laughs> Our misophonia people would n- would be very displeased with the even idea that you were chewing gum, even if they couldn't hear it, but uh, especially if they could. All right. So this, uh, as as you may have picked up by now or learned by reading the title of this episode, we're talking about multitasking. Yes, multitasking. I always really thought this this topic was interesting because um, I, as somebody who works pretty efficiently, I've always felt like I could multitask, and this takes a this this takes quite a turn. It, it kind of opens your eyes to like what multitasking actually is. Yeah, I mean, and I think there is a little bit of breaking this down in terms of what that could possibly mean, especially mm-hmm. when we start getting into the nuances of what tasks are and what our attention is and that sort of thing. But essentially, I mean, some examples of multitasking things like if you were driving and texting, that'd be mm. a sort of form of multitasking. Yeah. Uh, people who watch TV while trying to study, I think uh, chewing gum while you walk. And uh, one that I have, I've tried to do, and I've, I feel like I, I might be able to do this. I'm not, I'm not 100% yet, but I'm going to try this, is reading a book and listening to a podcast simultaneously. That's so tough. I can't, I, can't, I can't work and listen to a podcast at the same time. I struggle with that. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be a super mindless activity for me to do that. And I still notice that even though I'm not really doing anything when I listen to a podcast, if I'm absorbed in what I'm doing, this mindless activity, I will tune out the podcast. And I'll, mm-hmm. I, I'll realize all of a sudden they say something that catches my attention and, and I'm thinking, what? I thought I was listening and I re- just realized I have no idea what you're talking about. It just right. came out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I do that. Um, you know, sometimes I'll be like if I'm reading and I'm sitting in the living room reading and the TV's on, I'll hear I'll catch myself attending to the TV and then I have to reread a paragraph or two to get back to where I was at. Yeah. Great example. Yeah. All right. So we're going to be asking questions about multitasking, such as what is it? What are the implications of this? Can we do it? To what extent can we do it? And then some more nuanced questions, as I mentioned before. And essentially, we'll spoil it right now by saying that research does not really support the idea that humans can multitask very well. We're just not very good at it. Pretty significantly, too. Yeah. Matter of fact, we are pretty bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty impressive how bad we are at this. Like, you know, there's just some things like when some people just epically fail at tasks or doing certain things like human. This is one of those areas that humans really excel at failing at. Yeah. So 
let's define this, which is important to define our terms. So multitasking, and in case you can't tell by the name multitasking, is the idea that you are performing, or someone, whoever we're talking about, is performing multiple tasks or activities simultaneously. So they're doing a bunch of stuff at the same time. Yeah, so that's pretty straightforward. Now, the first thing to clarify here is that there's not really such a thing as multitasking for the most part, again, depending on how you sort of slice and dice it. But really what we're talking about when people are doing multitasking is actually task switching. Okay. And so that's, you are, you're doing one activity and then changing to another activity and then maybe changing back or even changing to a third activity, whatever it is, it is only keeping your attention on one thing and then changing it to another thing rather than doing two things simultaneously. That makes sense. So while you may be, and this is kind of probably a question that I would have about this is like, you may be mindful of another task that's going on there, but that might need to be required, but you're not devoting your attention to that. And we're going to probably dig into this later, but um, you're not spending, you're not attending to it well. So what you're doing is you're focused on a single task at a single, at any point in time. Right. And you might try and switch your attention back and forth really quickly and then give yourself the impression that you're doing two things simultaneously, but your attention really only goes one way for the most part. Now, again, this does kind of depend on how you define a task. So, for example, if I'm walking, am I counting placing my right foot as a separate task from placing my left foot or is placing the two, ta- the two feet in tandem a a single task, right? Um, what if, and then I go back to the example of chewing gum and walking. Am I actually... Does it become one task that I'm doing or is it two tasks that I'm doing or how do we talk about that? Or what about bodily functions? Like when I'm sitting here digesting is if I'm talking and digesting simultaneously, am I doing two tasks? So you can see that when we start to even think about what a task is, is it, is it, do they become separate things? Another good one I think is, so I played drums for years and you're going to have one hand is doing one thing, another hand's doing another thing, one foot's doing something, and the other foot's doing something, and they're all doing different things. Yeah. But w- the, the secret about all of this, I'm spoiling this for everybody <laughs> who's ever <laughs> thought about this, is they're actually not all doing independent things. They're all working together to do one thing. So you will learn that when you are, let's just say you're doing a simple 4-4 pattern, which I'm not going to explain what that is, but if you're doing just a, a basic <laughs> rhythm of a song you might hear on the radio, for example, is you're going to just keep cycling, hitting four with one hand. So you just go one, two, three, four, and every third time you're going to hit your left hand, and you just learn one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and on that third one you move your left hand, and eventually they just go together. It becomes a single mm-hmm. thing. But again, this is one of those tasks. Do we break this down and say that it's these independent tasks, or is it that there are all part of a single task or let's go to this um these sort of mindless things you can do like let's say you're peeling fruit i don't mm-hmm. know why that's my example but let's say that's what you're doing it's a very specific example yeah you could be <laughs> watching a tv show and like peeling the rind off of an orange or something and be paying perfectly fine attention to the tv show it's not like you really have to think that much about peeling the rind off of an orange so yeah, and I think part of it too is is this this lends itself to the discussion around fluency too. I mean, tasks that you're more fluent in, you don't have to attend to as much. So, you know, when you like you said, peeling a rind from an orange, like if you're really good at it, you don't really need to think too much about it or attend too much to it. It's a good point. And if you're really bad at it, you might have to really focus your attention and think about like, wow, this is a complicated thing I'm doing with this orange. Yeah. Yeah. So like when you brought up the example of like playing drums, like I play, I play bass guitar and so I can play and actually like talk to somebody or sing at the same time 
if it's a riff that I'm comfortable with, if it's a tough or difficult riff, I have to really focus and I can't really do much else at the same time. Yeah. Now, what a lot of people do that's more like this multitasking thing is they'll try and go from reading a book or listening to music to checking their Facebook and then going back to the book. They're trying to do those multiple things at the same time, and usually those things are not related. Or they might be, let's say they're studying for, for a class, they might be reading a section of a textbook or might be reading some kind of article, and they'll read and then they'll like, they might be listening to music at the same time and they'll turn their attention to their music and then they'll come back to the article and and try and divide their attention that way so that they're doing two things i guess back and forth now again they're not simultaneously they're doing one or the other i can see why people sort of believe that they're sort of brute forcing their multitasking by having it so it's like well i can't turn my hearing off so i can passively be receiving music even if i'm not actually paying attention to it while i'm paying attention to this thing that i'm reading and yeah, you kind of can. But again, you are allocating your attention to one thing and not the other. Right. And I, I think too, like uh, another example in something that I, as a student, you know, I've done, I've sat in lectures and I've written notes while I'm listening to a lecture. But if I look at my handwriting from the time that I like, you know, from times that I focus on my handwriting versus when I'm listening to somebody and just jotting down notes, my handwriting is so much better when I am attending to it specifically versus when I'm listening to somebody and jotting down notes. You can barely make out my handwriting as it is, but it's way worse when I'm sitting in a lecture. It's a great point. Yeah. So a lot of psychological researchers have been interested in studying this and trying to understand human multitasking since about the mid-19th century. And actually, like in the 1960s, it started picking up quite a bit. And you saw a lot more researchers focused on this particular phenomenon, which was pretty cool. And there's been a few different ways to try and study this. We're going to talk about a couple of them. One of the ways that's been used is the psychological refractory period effect. And essentially what's happened is that a participant is presented with two like cues or signals. So one follows the other one and they're, they're asked to respond to both. And people are generally slower on the second one than the first. So they respond to the first signal and then they get the second signal and they're like, oh, wait, what? And they don't respond as quickly. It takes them a moment to get oriented to what they're supposed to do. So my question would be like, are these novel tasks or are these like tasks that they're fluent in? For that one, I'm not totally sure. I think that they're novel tasks though, because I think they're supposed to be arbitrary and controlled. And I guess that makes sense. So kind of getting into the idea of tasks that people are fluent in, like Rogers and Monsell in the 90s actually did a type of research where they were switching between tasks that the, the participant knew about, right? So they would have a couple different trials um, and they would switch between these predictable tasks and they actually saw slower responding. And, uh, and another big important factor in this particular study was that they actually showed, um, not only did they show slower responding, but they showed decreased productivity in the tasks. So which goes back to the idea that humans aren't very good at multitasking, we saw that you know, the overall productivity for those tasks was really, really low. Right. And they specifically described that they would lose time and that where, where they lost their productivity in this is that they would spend time having to adjust to know what the task was, as well as what they described as being in mental competition with the sort of flow that they were in before they switched tasks. So they were thinking about what they were working on, then they had to get oriented to what they were doing, but then were still sort of had that momentum for what they had been working on previously that carries over. So those two things end up taking away time that even though it may be only a few seconds here and there, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's a lot. It really adds up really fast, especially when you do this repeatedly. Makes sense. Now there is this explanation 
uh, hypothesis, we'll say, one of the reasons that this happens is that although we could be receiving all this input and we could have motivation to do these things, it starts to bottleneck. And it's because we are um, or we can only attend to certain critical features of the two different things or three, depending on how many things you're trying to do. We can <laughs> right. only attend to certain key features of those things, but we can't attend to them all at the same time. This is highlighted even further in a, a study that was done in 1999 by Muter and Allport, where they were focusing on people who spoke multiple languages and switching between languages and, and completing tasks within those languages. And what they found is like, even with that, even with somebody who was fluent in their native language, their ability to speak in their native language or think in their native language actually slowed down when they had to switch between languages. And they were doing simple things like reading numbers. They weren't even doing really intense or complex tasks. With What was happening is when they were switching between those tasks, they actually lost some time and lost some processing uh, between those different tasks in their own native language that they were fluent in. Yeah, and that goes back to the discussion that we had a little bit earlier in that there is some even when we talk about these things that we're fluent at and these people were fluent at that language it was difficult to get oriented to the thing like switching to that new repertoire that other type of skill that they were doing now they also found that the more complex that the task was the more time that was lost when switching between those tasks and there was this 2001 article by Rubenstein Evans and and Mayers who showed that students could when when solving math problems or classifying geometric objects uh, switching between those things they would lose time and they would lose even more time or they'd become even slower when the tasks became less related so in the first one they were doing more or less math like things but when they started to do even more disparate type of tasks then they would slow down even more when trying to switch from one to the other one yeah and so i think part of the Part of the reason why this study is so important is they actually discuss this idea, this hypothesis of, that there's two stages of completing tasks, right? So there's this idea of goal shifting. So you have to kind of look at and reorient to what the purpose of the task is, and that takes a little bit of time to get comfortable with that. And then you also have to understand the, the second part of this um, stage is, is understanding the rules of the task, like what are the parameters in which you're working with? So these two hypotheses kind of give us an idea of, of what like where that breakdown is in that process and why there is a delay and why we are losing time when we are switching from one task to another. Well said. And, and hence, as exactly as you said, that's the reason it's so inefficient is because it's those, that total reorientation to, to that purpose and to like what you're supposed to be doing to those rules. So actually speaking to how inefficient this is, you, they actually saw a reduction in productivity by almost 40%. Up yeah. to forty percent, and and sometimes more. So, uh, pretty interesting. Like how much time is lost and productivity is lost simply by switching tasks or, or trying to quote unquote multitask. Yeah. So you can imagine if you were to spend, just using very simple numbers here, if you were to spend one hundred minutes, or it would take you one hundred minutes to read a chapter for class, for example. If you're trying to do that and switch between something else, it's now going to take you one hundred and forty minutes. So it's a huge amount of time that's lost if, if it's cut down by that much in your productivity. As we said, part of this that's important to discuss is the aspect of this that we've talked about repeatedly so far, which is our attention, which is to say we can do multiple things. We can switch back and forth between things sometimes, or really we can have a lot of stuff going on around us like the TV or music while we're, we're, we're focused on one thing. But the the question inside of that is specifically with uh, with respect to our attention. So let's start by defining attention. Dictionary.com gives the definition notice taken of someone or something or 
the regarding of someone or something as interesting or important. This just has to do with like the thing that sort of controls our attention, if you will. So really, I guess the useful way of thinking about attention is that there are these cues and motivation. So you have some kind of motivation for whatever your goal or your outcome is, and then a particular cue or signal that indicates this is the thing that is going to accomplish that goal. Now, sometimes those are distractions. There are things that there is this, we have motivation to stop doing the task we're doing because it's boring or because it's just not fun or because it's really unpleasant or any number of reasons. And so any kind of cue or signal that comes into our environment that is different from the thing that we're currently focused on is going to very easily grab our attention because that motivation is there to do something else. But there's also just the idea that when you're focused on the thing that you're focused on, you have some, presumably, some motivation to work on that task, whatever it is, to get it accomplished, to earn some money, to whatever it is that you're going to get out of doing this. Maybe it's just fun to do. Could be that as well. And then you have the cue of whatever the thing is that's in front of you that has controlling your attention. You imagine if you're like someone whose hobby is, I don't know, doing construction project. No, no, construction is not the word I'm looking for. I'm thinking of like like little projects, like building little things. You know what I'm talking about? Like crafts. Yeah, crafts. crafts. Thank you. That's the word. I, <laughs> that was actually the word I needed the whole time. People are doing crafts, not construction. They're building homes, probably. <laughs> but they're building origami something or other. Anyway, the point being that if you're working on that thing and all of a sudden it disappears out of your hand, you no longer have the cue that you need to respond to. So you have the the activity in front of you and then you have some kind of motivation to complete it and that thing is going to demand your attention. However, there are lots of things in your world that could demand your attention. Sometimes they become more important or less important over time even as you're working on something. So you might be doing something you really enjoy, but the longer you do it, you kind of start to feel a little exhausted on it and then other things that wouldn't normally be as rewarding start to become a little more valuable in contrast to the thing that you're working on. And so then those things or the whatever cues are associated with those things, now that's going to grab our attention and we're going to shift our focus a little bit even if it's just to glance over and think, "Hey, I'd really like to be doing that right now." But I'm not. Right. <laughs> Aww. Yeah, I think of like uh, I spend a lot of time at work, you know, um, now in my current role developing content. So a lot of what I do is I develop trainings and I, de- I work on systems for trainings and whatnot. And, and it's really fun. But uh, if something comes up that's client related or family related, then I have to stop what I'm doing and attend to that thing. So um, going back to those cues and motivation, like when a new email comes up that says, hey, urgent action needed, you know, to me, that's that's a cue that and it, it actually increases my motivation. So I'm looking at like, hey, I'm going to stop what I'm doing here because even though this is this is important and I'm attending to it, I have to attend to this other thing. So um, that, that that idea of of cues and motivation in our environment makes a whole lot of sense, especially when you're thinking about it in a in a in a fast paced work environment that we might be working in. Yeah, great point. And so, uh, and really that highlights the fact that although we can, we can do this task switching thing and for some things, depending on how you define them, you can kind of multitask and we'll get into how that works a little bit later. We can really only focus our attention on one thing at a time. We just can't divide our attention that much. And that's actually sort of the key to when we talk about how we can multitask is that it's what you'll end up doing is you, you, group all of the things that you're doing into one frame of attention, if you will. So you can pay attention to all the things that you're doing because they're all related or they're all integrated in some way that you can do that. But let's get into the neurology of this. 
Yeah, I think this is going to be kind of a, a really neat aspect of this that maybe people don't think about, right? I, I would not have thought of the neurology of multitasking before this episode. Yeah, although I think a lot of people definitely would because they're very curious, many people, about how the brain works with respect to things like this. Yeah. Warning, jargon ahead. <laughs> I'll try and keep it relatively straightforward, though. Yeah, we got this. It'll be good. So when we talk about multitasking, one of the questions that comes up is why do it? Like, why even bother? And um, and why do we even think, really, right? Like, when we why, why are we thinking about certain things? Why are we thinking about multiple tasks and stuff like that? So Payne Duggan and Neth in 2007 actually suggested that people, when they do task switch, they do it to increase time that they spend on a specific task that produces some kind of the, the highest benefit or the highest reward, right? Um, maybe which, which, whichever goal is the closest to completion, which is going to have the best payout, whatever, whatever type of task is going to get the biggest payoff, they're going to focus on that. Um, or they're going to focus on things that are more fun. So I can get this done so I can get to this fun thing. Um, or it might not even be that. It might just be like, hey, I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing so I can get to this fun thing. So yeah. it might not just be that they're setting it up to like reward themselves. They might just go on anyway and just forget the boring tasks they were attending to before. Totally. And they suggested that cues such as completing those sub goals, sort of as you mentioned, that as you're working on something, you might have little sub goals inside of the project that you're working on, that as soon as you hit that little objective, whatever it might be, you that might signal, okay, now is a good time to switch over to something else. And in addition to that, as I mentioned earlier, you might sort of get this dwindling sense or this the sense I said that backwards, you might get the sense of dwindling reward that you're for the current task that you're working on. And so you you get some sort of milestone achievement of whatever you're working toward. And now it doesn't you, you sort of think about the next thing I got to do is going to take me just as long or longer than the thing that I just did. And wouldn't it be nice to just do something else for a little while? And so that sort of signals this, like this thing that was rewarding is now not nearly as rewarding as something else you could be doing. And you kind of found a, a stopping point that says, all right, I've completed a part of this that I can definitely say is a tangible thing that I have done. Therefore I can move on. And so right. that often seems to result in this task switch. Very cool. So uh, in 2010, a study found that each hemisphere of the brain can actually focus on a specific goal. And maybe not focus. They're capable of having goals, I should say. Right. They're not focused on them. But they're capable of having them that can be pursued. And so people with an intact brain, which is one of my favorite things I've ever read, um, people <laughs> whose brains are intact uh, can actually pursue up to two goals. And I think that's a that's kind of, I would say, pretty shocking to think about that we can really only pursue two goals at a time as somebody who thought they could multitask i thought that i was working on many many goals and so apparently i've only been working on two at any given time yeah that's the suggestion at least i think maybe we sort of arrange them in a hierarchy if you will of here are a series of things that need to be done and a like a list of priorities but generally these are the the maybe two things that i could have that i'm working toward at the at any given moment but again your attention's only going to be on one thing at any given moment and it might switch back and forth but in doing so you're also losing your efficiency in in completing that so uh there was this study by jordan grafman who is the chief of cognitive neuroscience at the national institute of neurological disorders and strokes and he said, quote, the most anterior part of the brain allows a person to leave something when it's incomplete and return to the same place and continue from there, end quote. And so he's talking about this fact that we 
it's kind of unique that what we can do is we can be working on something, go to something else, and then come back and pick up where we left off on the thing that we were working on. And that he talks about area 10 and part of the brain's frontal lobes and that that helps us. That's the part of the brain that helps coordinate this pick up where left off sort of thing. Either way, what he was just talking about inside of his neurological research was that it we do have this capacity, this interesting ability to identify where we were in a sequence of steps along some kind of task or some kind of progress we had made toward a task and that we can just come back to it and pick it up and continue working toward that goal, even though that wasn't the thing that we were doing. We're sort of moving back and forth between those two things. Oh, I'm so glad we can do that. Same. Could you imagine if we couldn't, like how stressful things would be like having to start over? It's like, it's like, uh, it's like playing Nintendo. Like there's no save point. We might be a little more efficient in that we would then only focus on one thing at a time. Yeah. Just to get it done. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's good stuff. And as, as kind of a carryover from the Grafman study, uh, it was, it was discussed that focusing on multiple dissimilar tasks, uh, at the same time actually forces the person or the brain to process all activity in its anterior. So ultimately what ends up happening is that even though the brain is this really complex organ that we pr- we still don't really understand very well, um, and it can perform a myriad of tasks, it can't multitask well. It's still, at the end of the day, on a neurological level, cannot multitask well. You're right. And something that's interesting about that is that there are some people who are actually fairly good at this, at least relative to others. So in 2010, there was this study that examined a portion of the population that found that they were actually pretty good at multitasking, at least much better than their control counterparts. And so the researchers labeled them as super taskers. And they use this thing called an NBAC test as another one of the type of tests they might use. And essentially, there could be many different ways that this test is structured. But what they do is they usually will just present some kind of stimulus. I did one online, and I'll just describe it really quick, because I think that will help set the stage, which is that it presents just a letter and then another letter, and then another letter, and it just presents various letters from the alphabet. And every time it presents a letter, you have to type either, yes, it is the same letter that you saw three letters ago, or no, it is not the same letter that I saw three letters ago. And this is unbelievably difficult. Yeah. Because you're just presented with letter after letter, and you're like, I know that I saw this one, but was it three letters ago? Was it more recent than that? <laughs> and I mean, yeah. when, when I was completely focused on just doing that, that was really hard. But there were these people that they, let me just frame how they did this. So what they did is they put them in a test where they would have them, while trying to do that task, which is already hard enough as it is, they were also trying to pay attention to a series of shapes that were like on the other side of the screen. And they did various versions of this test. Sometimes they were presented auditorily. Sometimes they were doing like the same task, but on two different screens. Anyway, what they would try and have them do is do two different things. Orient to the whatever the thing, the NBAC test, and then orient to something else, which may have been another NBAC test or just a different task altogether, and then see how they do. As you can imagine, most people, this was basically just guessing. They were just hitting, I, I don't know. I don't know if I remember that thing. And the pe- But there were this weird subgroup of people, these super taskers, and they discovered that their brains were just much more efficient at doing these sorts of things, that is that they were using much less energy and just sort of going through doing them at a rapid sort of fluent pace. Yeah. 
and uh, they were much for they were much better at this than the people the sort of control the non supertaskers at completing these tasks. So they were much more accurate and also much more efficient in completing this. And specifically, the authors mentioned that their brains made more efficient use of their sorry, a bunch of jargon coming at you, but if this is something you're in- into, the anterior cingulate and posterior frontopolar prefrontal cortices, which are believed to be important in the role of regulating multiple men- mental functions as well as working memory. So so important stuff. Yeah, just things that our brain does. <laughs> so I think what's really great about all these studies is that we're starting to get closer to understanding maybe the whole process, but ultimately we still don't know why they're good at it. Right. right. Like why are there why are there super taskers out there versus people that are not? We don't really know why they're good at it. We're getting a better idea. We're getting a more complete picture, but we still don't know. Yeah, as far as as far as I could tell from the research that's been done, it's essentially the conclusion is they just are. <laughs> <laughs> Which good good for them. If you're a super tasker, let us know. Yeah. We'd love to hear if, from I you. I mean, if you know. If you know. Like I don't know if you've gone and had your brain energy scanned, but if you could let us know while simultaneously doing something else, that would be even better. And we then tell be us really what that impressed. is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we would be really impressed. I'm currently playing tennis, as I let you know. <laughs> uh, or juggling five axes, as we demonstrated earlier. All right, so let's dive into a little bit of uh, the an- another view of how this might work, just thinking of this from sort of the behavior scientist view. All right, so it, I think it's important to kind of discuss the behavioral view of this too and kind of what multitasking looks like and how it's sometimes treated within the behavioral realm. Um, so media multitasking, when we talk about this, involves the alternating between completing academic tasks and using technology for non-academic purposes. So this would be like you're sitting in a class and you're listening to a lecture or you're working on a paper and then in the middle of your paper, you're, te- you're checking your text messages or you are uh, maybe going on your social media or checking email, something that's not directly related to that task, but involves some kind of non-academic technology-based task. You know, sometimes when I'm at the library on on campus, I might see students who are just like watching YouTube videos on their on the computer that they're using and whatnot so i imagine that that's one of those examples of i think really any amount of studying where you alternate between being focused on the thing that you're doing and then something else that would be that you might have access to via the technology that you're using as you said like text emails facebook twitter soundcloud stitcher all the places you can find why we do what we do yeah, it's super cool. So um, <laughs> so you ended up like you see students like interacting with all these things and they actually started implementing um, as part of the study. What they wanted to look at is um, in, including technology breaks to actually decrease, quote unquote, multitasking um, so that they could uh, help kind of, you know, build up some some really good uh, like task completion strategies for students and and look at like making sure these students are actually pretty proficient. So um, this study was done in 2018. It was Guinness. Uh, I want to say that that's pronounced uh, Bolu. Bolu? Sure. Bolu. And, I like uh, Bolu. That sounds good. Bolu. Bolu. Um, and McDonald. And actually, um, Jacqueline McDonald is a close colleague of ours uh, with ABA Inside Track. So that's kind of cool. So the study itself uh, was focused on giving technology breaks and it would allow students to uh, check their text messages, their emails and all that stuff. They would check that outside of academic tasks. Um, And actually what they found was that um, they the, the, the technology breaks themselves decreased multitasking during academic tasks. So ultimately, there's this side effect of, of the task would get completed. They were more um, efficient in completing these tasks, and there were less delays in completing the task because they had these breaks where they could access 
what they would normally use as multitasking or like those activities built into that multitasking function that they would engage in. So it was pretty, it's pretty neat. So they were able to see that the, they, they set up these technology breaks as like a, a like a preventative strategy. Um, they were able to set it up and, and actually get these students to implement or use these technology breaks to avoid multitasking while they were completing their, their, their necessary tasks for work or for school. So just to ensure that I'm understanding correctly, I want to say it back that what they did in this study was they essentially had them schedule breaks for themselves where they could use the, they could like take an entertainment break, check their email or their social media or watch a YouTube video, whatever is the thing that they were doing. And then otherwise stay focused on the thing that they were working on until they had that scheduled break. And in doing this, they reduced how often they were interrupting their own studying with things like with those distractions. Is that right? You, yeah, you summed that up way better than I did. (laughs) You know, it's actually interesting is that we found that at work there was a lot of people felt like they weren't having the time they needed to complete their tasks. And so what we did is we implemented uh, a red card, green card system where red card means don't bother me. I'm busy right now. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the, the suggestion was they wear headphones. It wasn't a requirement, but just like wear headphones so that people know that you're unavailable and you have this giant red card, like large laminated red cards that we used. And we found that, and I've started using this for myself at work for the same reason, but we found that when we implemented this red card system, people got so much more efficient with their time that they were end up having extra time left over um, for the things that they had scheduled time allotted for. And that although they did feel like they didn't have the time they needed, it was because, well, at least partially because we don't know for sure, but it seems like it was at least partially because they were getting distractions either from people approaching them when they needed things or because they were distracting themselves. Who knows? There, there was whatever was going on is that by simply programming in time that this is focus attention time and even having like a timer set that it was like as soon as I get distracted, pause the timer and then unpause it that reduced that distraction and then the work just got a lot more efficient. And so they end up having what would, what they get their work done early and they'd actually have more time to go through doing the things that were either fun or, you know, interacting with other people, whatever it was. So yeah, kind of, it, kind of it's pretty idea. cool. I, I know I've seen um, some studies on, and I can't I can't quote them right now, but I've seen some studies on on like when you're scheduling, if you have multiple tasks that you have to complete during the day, like if you have to answer a lot of emails and you have to like attend to people and do all these things, like if you if you block out time to just answer emails for the day and that's the time that you answer emails, it's less disruptive throughout the day. Because if but, you have a three-hour period where all you do is answer emails and that's it, and then after that you're not answering emails for the rest of the day, it tends to like actually improve productivity. Yeah, I imagine. And I'm sure it feels super overwhelming to just feel like you always have emails you have to respond to and that there's not really a time that you have set aside to do that. It's just like, oh, one more thing on my plate to do. That's how I feel about emails generally. Yeah. But, you know, interestingly, my my boss actually, she noticed herself that she felt that task switching was something that interrupted her productivity. So she just got a little counter for herself and she would count every time she would task switch and it was just a self-monitoring system and noticed that her task switching decreased and that she was ended she ended up being so much more productive that she was getting stuff done early and getting through things really really quickly so that again she was having extra time to work on stuff that she had been that had been set aside or pushed off and stuff like that or even just like take more breaks like take walks and stuff and so she's really been pushing this idea of people tracking their own task switches and just really being oriented to and really it wasn't even like there's no punitive system for task switching it was just noticing how often you were doing it people tend to do it less they tend to stay yeah. focused on something for a longer period of time and that helped them be more productive which is kind of cool so there's yeah. a there's a 
a little piece of how to that you can implement for yourself, dear listener. If you feel that you are inefficient or lacking in time, try, try You're counting your task switches. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> so going back to this idea of how to understand why we're bad at this and why we do it. I think we've covered why we do it fairly well. You know, there's this idea that mm-hmm. there's alternative sources of reward and motivation that are out there. But part of the reason that we can only orient to one of these things at a time is that it is competition of those cues, the signals that really the signals that are out there. And this goes back to the fact of whether or not they are related to each other, because if they're competing with one another, then we're only going to be able to switch back and forth between those things. So our attention and our focus and our ability to do multiple things at once is related to if those cues work together or if they work separately. So if we have a cue that means always do this thing, whatever activity A is, and a cue that is do this other thing, whatever activity B is, and those things are incongruent, they don't work together, then it's when those multiple cues are, are present, it's going to be really hard to do both of those things. You have to just choose one of them and stick to it. Probably the one that's going to have the most amount of payoff or avoid the worst outcome. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. And then if there's a way that you can group those two things together so that both cues work together and the, the activities work together, then you could do them both. And again, some of these things, they just, they just won't mix. Um, Pig and elephant DNA just won't splice as they say. Just won't happen. Yeah. So some of the times, (laughs) Hear more about that on our CRISPR episode. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So really, you might not be able to always make two tasks go together. But if you can, then like that's fine. That then then that works. Um, But a a lot of times that they won't because they they are just too different and they require two different types of of attention to um, to focus on this. Yeah. And I mean, and still it comes down to the idea of splitting your attention, right? If you're talking about multiple tasks, you're still having to split your attention across those tasks. So you're not going to be able to fully attend to both tasks at the same time. You're going to have to attend to one or the other. And even when you chunk them up, that's better than trying to focus on two entirely different tasks. But at the same time, you're still splitting your attention. And I think that's kind of the key here is like when you are talking about the idea of multitasking, you are talking about dividing your attention in such a way that you cannot attend fully to one task or the other. You know, that brings me back to a really important conversation we had when we did our episodes on fluency. And we talked about that even looking at neurologically, what happens when someone gets really fluent at something is that they use actually much less energy in their brain when they're doing that thing. It becomes so easy and so automatic that we actually end up not really devoting our attention to it. And our attention goes elsewhere. And the classic example that at this point has probably been beaten to death to the point that nobody wants to hear it anymore is driving. Is when we're driving, we're so fluent at being able to hold a steering wheel and maintain our, like, our lane in the road that our minds tend to wander a little bit because we don't need to devote our attention to that thing anymore. We should because it's extremely dangerous, but right. we can listen to music. We can listen to podcasts. We can have a conversation um, with someone who's in the car, preferably, but even those things... I, there has been research to show that like having a conversation with someone who's in the car while you're driving can distract you away from driving such that it becomes more dangerous. So even though you're not talking on the phone, you're not actually devoting your attention to the road. So anyway, just the when you get really fluent at something to the point where it becomes automatic, you actually can do that thing and then you can focus your attention on something else while you do that other thing. And then in that sense, you kind of are multitasking. 
essentially what you're doing is you're you're forcing that other that task a that you're really really good at to just exist simultaneously with task b so that your attention is only on one thing you're not going to you're not going to control both things with your attention but you can kind of do those two things and do them okay but that again you are actually even things that you're pretty fluent at you're going to lose some amount of your productivity in those things by being allowing yourself to be so distracted because the one thing that can happen is even though you're really fluent at task a if you're not really fluent at task b you're not going to be able to allocate as much of your time and energy to task a so task b eventually is going to slow down task a even though it's something you're really good at going back to that example of people who are fluent at languages they tried to switch languages and even their native language they were slower at doing something very simple like reading numbers that they could easily easily do yeah absolutely so some good stuff, good stuff. So um, we have a couple other interesting tidbits to dig into. Yeah. So Mayer and Marino uh, were some researchers, and they were interested in this idea of cognitive load and multimedia learning. And so they did this study in which they concluded that although it is really difficult to do, you actually could learn some amount of new information while multitasking. Um, but this idea of this cognitive load in terms of how much you can sort of take on that you're thinking about at any one time you could learn new things while multitasking, but again, way less efficient. And another study by um, Junko and Cotton examined how multitasking affects academic success and actually determined uh, that students who engage in high levels of multitasking reported significant issues with their academic work. So ultimately, they were finding that they were struggling with the quality and the amount of academic work they were doing simply based on the fact that they were multitasking throughout the entire process. And another study found also that the there was a marked effect on performance uh, for by students who were multitasking specifically when they were use when they were texting or they were using Facebook probably any social media but we'll just say Facebook was the one that they mentioned specifically and that that was that had a negative correlation to their grades so if they were doing this multitasking while they were studying and whatnot by using those social media websites and that sort of thing that that would impact their grade although interestingly in this one. And different from what other people have found, they did find that people who were doing online searching and emailing that did not have the same negative correlation to grades, although I imagine mm. it didn't necessarily help them study either. Yeah, I would imagine so. I wonder if uh, maybe online searching or the emails were some kind of related to the academic performance or academic tasks. Can we just rope in a bias and just uh, use this to, to claim that social media makes you dumber? And Yeah, no, we could do that. <laughs> Just so don't kidding. use social media, but follow us on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I really shot myself in the foot on that one. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. Jeez. <laughs> so another study by uh, Meyer and David Kieras found that uh, in the interim between the task switching, the brain actually makes no progress whatsoever. So it, it's like a it's like a an entire an entire delay. Like there's just a, everything freezes, and um, so. Ultimately, what that says is that people who are multitasking not only perform the task less suitably or, or um, less reliably, um, they actually lose time in the process. So it's, it's, like a, it's like getting stuck at a stoplight on your, on your travels every single time. I was actually just going to relate this to when you're like tra traveling from point A to point B. And then I just think about how much life is wasted in transit between two different places. It just is such a colossal waste of time. I'm like, it's so sad. Yeah. Like I'm we not, need we we need teleporters. I'm not I'm not at home doing anything fun or productive. I'm not at work doing anything fun or productive. I'm not even at a store doing something fun or productive. I'm just 
sitting in a space moving at a certain pace for a certain Mm -hmm. period of time and it just makes me sad it's sad so i guess the moral of the story is don't travel anywhere stay (laughs) home and work (laughs) the moral of the story is scientists get on making teleporters already yeah, we're those quantum physicists. Jeez. Let's get let's get let's get let's make this happen. I need to be able to step through a gateway straight to my desk. <laughs> or even better, just appear there. Like I don't want to I don't want to waste any time stepping through doorways. I just need to be at my desk. Yeah, Boom. I'm I'm trying to materialize. Get on this. <laughs> and <laughs> anyway, I think that's you got anything else I think we're sufficient on on this from my end at least. Yeah, now I feel good about. I feel like this is wrapped up in a nice neat little bow. Great. All right. Well, so uh, some things to walk away from this episode is that we're bad at multitasking. It's not something we can do very well. So bad at it. As a matter of fact, that it, it, to, to such a degree that it almost doesn't exist in the human hemisphere, like in the, in the species at all. It's not a thing that we do. Yeah. Even there's this quote from um, Edward Hollowell, and he said that multitasking is a, quote, mythical activity in which people believe they can perform two or more tasks simultaneously as effectively as one, end quote. And basically saying that this isn't a thing that we do. And again, really what it is is task switching. We don't really multitask. At most, what we'll do is we'll group a series of related tasks under one single type of activity, like walking, for example, is not mm-hmm. you know every single muscle movement that's involved in that, but they become a single streamlined activity in which we need our attention focused on only one one thing. Well, and the other part of this I think that's really important is that with respect to our attention, we really can only attend to one thing at a time. Now, the chunks of that thing can vary. So it could be we attend to a lot of information that's all related at once, but we can't attend to two unrelated things simultaneously. We just, we can't do it. It's just, yeah, it, does, it doesn't make sense. So, um, and I think the kind of the biggest take home point from this is is not only recognizing that multitasking isn't a thing that really exists, like we talked about task switching, but there are some pretty significant impacts related to the idea of even trying to to multitask, right? So so there's there's a lot of time wasted due to, to task switching or context switching, um, and there are actually more errors uh, in the tasks that are being completed due to insufficient attention allocated towards those tasks that we're trying to co- to complete. Yeah, well said. All right, perfect. Very good. All right, well, um, quick shout out and thanks to Michelle Danico. She has joined our writing and research team. So welcome, Michelle, and thanks for your work on this episode, as well as Britt Bowerly also did some work on this. So thank you both for your help and research on multitasking. For sure. Thank you so much. All right. So cool. Real quick thing that I wanted to mention is that we are on spotify we're on spreaker we are now on at least the amazon echo smart speaker i haven't tested to see we should also be on sonos but i haven't i don't have a sonos speaker so i haven't double checked that that actually worked um we are on um tune in we are on pretty much everywhere that i've been able to to find where we're pretty well distributed soundcloud twitter facebook instagram all those things so reach out to us, email us. We love hearing from people. We're happy to respond back to you. Um, Mm -hmm. We're happy to answer questions that you may have. We'd love to make this more interactive. Oh, and if you haven't heard already, we have changed our Patreon levels about. We now have six or seven different levels of Patreon, so you can join and get access to uncut episodes all the way to you could join and be a part of the conversation at the highest level. Um, But either way, if you join and support us, we super appreciate it. It really helps us do what we do, and we've got a lot of stuff in store for people. Um, You can watch a live, not live, but you can watch a recorded video of us 
And I build these cool little blanket forts. You can see if you want to be a Patreon member, you can get access to a video of us recording and, uh, and you can get uncut versions of the episodes where we have our, our banter and mistakes. If that's something that's mm-hmm. valuable to you, um, access to our resources, all that stuff. So anyway, join us if you'd like. Um, yeah, look please do. To hearing from you and that's all I got. I think that's a I think that's a good place to wrap. All right, perfect. Well, thanks for listening. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We're out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.